The following is a For Vengeance Media production. is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal. And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Presented by Four Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey. On Silent Ice TV. Welcome to Game Changers. This is episode six. My name is Dean Millard, and it is such a pleasure to be here. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. I won't sing it, but we have the NHL. We've got Major League Baseball playoffs. Best theater going, in my opinion. I absolutely love it. Until the Stanley Cup rolls around. Of course, we have the National Football League. We have the CFL heading into the playoff drive. And we just had Thanksgiving. But the best is still to come. Halloween. Yes, Halloween, my favorite. I watch a scary movie every day in October, and I love getting dressed up. So beware, uh, those of you at the Silent Ice offices. I may just pop out from behind a desk. And yeah, the first month going on with this Halloween and scary movie theme was an absolute thriller for the JPHL and how things got underway. Things were a little scary for the Spruce Grove Saints uh, in the first uh, 11 games so far. And the defending champs in Seattle, well, they are still trying to figure out their plot line. But we have a box office smash hit uh, when it comes to our starting lineup. Nick Kiprios won a Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers in 1994. And he is also the host of Real Kipper and Born on Sportsnet 590 in Toronto. He will join us to preview the seasons. We will do five key storylines for this NHL season. And we'll he's got a terrific Marc Messier story uh, that just makes you think that why Marc Messier was such a great leader. Antonio Martirana. Seattle Thunderbirds scored his first goal in his Western Hockey League career last weekend. It was a beauty. We'll show it to you if you're watching on Silent Ice TV. And if you are listening on all of the podcast networks, check out SilentIceTV.com so you can watch the show. And if you're watching and you want to take it on the go, we are on all of your major podcast networks. And... Joining us today in our Future Files segment, Derek Zalaski is the Director of Player Safety for the JPHL. They have a terrific referee academy. We'll find out what the job entails and what makes the JPHL a little bit different from a player safety standpoint uh, than some of the other leagues that are out there. So Nick Kiprios, Antonio Martirana, 
and Derek Zalaski, all joining me on the show today. And let's get right into it. Our first guest, there he is, Antonio Martorana, scored his first WHL goal last weekend, and it was a beauty. Let's chat now with the former Titans Hockey Union superstar and now Seattle Thunderbird. Antonio, welcome to the show. Uh, chatted with you a few times last year in the JPHL, but now uh, great to see you in Seattle and did not take you very long to score your first WHL goal. Uh, first of all, was it everything you dreamed about? We're going to get to see it in a second, but when you look back on the goal, what a memory for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was great to get the first one off my chest. That was kind of like my biggest goal was just to try to come here and uh, like make the biggest impact I can with this team and being a younger player like I just I just need to do my best and when my name's called I got to produce so that's just that was my goal and dreamed of it ever since I was a kid so I was super happy well let's take a look at it here um, the puck comes out you're out of the box uh, t- take us through it here as you see it yeah so it was just a great pass from Poppy it just bounced over that stick there and I was lucky to grab and saw I looked up and made a great move and goalie slid and I was able to pop it over his bad so at what point at what point do you think of the move I'm always curious of guys as as they're coming in you know the the game is so fast it's not like you have a whole lot of time is it instinct that takes over in that situation for you yeah for sure I mean so like I I just kind of looked up and he was he was a little bit over to the side of it and so I just like I'm just gonna trust it use my skill and um I was able to work it was just a little instinct and it was kind of my favorite shot over the pad, so just had to trust it there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and I noticed that you came out of the penalty box, so that had to be a little bit nerve-wracking because you were in the box, but there's no better way to make up for a penalty than scoring a goal. Exactly. Tell me about um, fitting in and the level of increase from the preseason to the first couple of games of the regular season. We always hear about this, the jump in the level all the time. What was it like going from preseason to regular season for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was, it was was a pretty big jump. I mean, preseason, like, not everybody knows the systems. There's all these younger guys coming in, younger opportunities, too, for all these young guys, and um, like not everybody knows the systems and stuff, but right when you hop into the regular season, we practiced two weeks before our first regular season game and everybody knew the systems and the game really just jumped up and that team, like they, they pre-scouted us and we pre-scouted them. And it's just a, it's just a huge, just a huge impact and jump from the preseason to the regular season. Everything gets a lot faster. I mean, you just got to trust your systems and, uh, just everything got, gets, gets so much faster and just, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and you know, guys are coming back into the lineup from NHL camps, and, and it's, you know, it's the same at the NHL level. More experienced guys get in in the games. You hear that from everybody. And you also hear about what it's like joining a, a championship team, and, and you were able to spend some time around the team last year, I think, during the run, and, and being around them this year. What is it like being around so many guys that already know what it takes to win? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing just to see, like, just how the organization is ran here. Like, like our kind of slogan is to just live above the line. So, it's just it's so amazing to see all the players that they were that were here before, just how professional they are and, like, how ready to go they are. And, like I said before, like, when their name is called, they're just they're, – they're ready to go. They're dialed in. And 
it's just amazing really to see just all these NHL players that already made like the step into AHL and NHL that I saw last year. It's just, it's just really amazing to see. So it's awesome. What about uh, the off season uh, specifically? What sort of things did you want to work on to be able to make the jump to the next level? Well, I knew the speed was, was going to jump up and that's kind of like uh, where I can kind of separate myself a bit in the game. And that's kind of like my main aspect of skill. So I really just tried to work on like my speed, agility, and kind of work on my leg strength and all that stuff. And obviously some cardio on the side too, to, to stay at the high pace and kind of have a, like a longer shift and kind of like be out there and just always full speed for 45 seconds, whatever it is. So just a lot of cardio and strength in my legs and upper body here too. So. Yeah, you, you ought to be able to uh, to maintain that, as you said. You want to be going full tilt, and and not very many players can go from one level to the next level and go from the first line to the first line. Maybe Bedard, maybe McDavid, some of these guys. So you know, making the jump from the JPHL where you were the leader uh, with the Titans, that it's going to be a little bit different. How do you adjust your game, or do you adjust your game, and how do you adjust that mindset of of you know knowing you have to kind of work your way up a lineup on a new team yeah 100 percent um i knew coming in like i was going to be i came from like like you said kind of like playing more minutes and stuff in the jbhl to now there's four lines here and so i started a bit lower and i'm still there and just like like i said kind of like whenever my name is called i just really try to focus on being ready to go like um and like when i'm not like when i'm on the bench i'm just trying to bring up my teammates i'm gonna have good shifts and just keep the good positivity up and keep positive in my head as well is a really big thing for me. So, yeah, just, just kind of do that. And, um, I really just don't really try to change my game though. Like that was one big thing I try to focus on as well. Just like believing in my skill and believing what I can do and just trying to, trying to do whatever I, whatever I can to, to produce and help this team out to win. Well, they want they took you because your skill and and you could obviously play an all around game and that's exactly right. You can't get away from the skill just because you might be playing a little bit different in the lineup. It's still playing the same way. Perfect attitude and what a great place to land. I mean, heading into camp, there were so many familiar faces that you played with or against in the JPHL and you know that draft series that they had last year, kind of getting everybody ready for this. About hey, that guy was my opponent last year. Now he could be my line mate. You just never know. But having those familiar faces in training camp, did that make things a little bit easier for you? It was, I mean, it was awesome to be there. Like it just, all my friends were there and I had a lot of boys there and it was awesome, but it, it kind of helped me. I mean, we're still playing. Like we had a, so for camp, we had a, like an all JPHL team pretty much. And we had a couple of uh, HSL like alumni, like Coster Dunn and Sam Popovich. And we had those guys, but, mostly we had JPHL players and it was just awesome. Like, cause we already had our chemistry up and we just all went out there and worked super hard. And it just, it was super fun. It was a really fun camp. And I think everybody had smiles on their faces when we left camp and moved into preseason. And when some of the boys went home to play for the JPHL season. Yeah, you know, Vanek Popple's going to get in the lineup uh, this weekend for that U18. And and, and the JPHL, I, I had so much fun and am having so much fun watching this league develop. How did it help you prepare uh, for some of the non-playing aspects of junior hockey, the arena atmosphere, the intermission interviews, the off-ice lifestyle? How has that prepared you mentally for the WHL, do you think? 
Well, it's a, it was a really good setup in the JBHL. I'm just really amazed how everything was so professional around there. Like all you guys for Vengeance and all the media people, it was just super professional. And it's it's really close to the WHL actually. Like all the like the interviews and all the cameras we had around the rink and it was awesome to see and it really like helped my game too like I could watch over my game from all angles super good commentating and it was just all professional coaches like we all we all tried to live above the line like we do here and it hasn't changed much and that's what really helped make the jump so I just really just it was really good to see and it helped me. I, I think it's it's so fun. And you, you mentioned the coaching is excellent. I mean, you had Tyrell Spitzer last year. You were going up against Sean Bell. Um, you know, Scott Glennie is involved in the league. Clayton Stoner. The the coaching is great. And, and I think, you know, even going back to the days in the HSL with the Saints Pro Hockey, uh, HSL to JPHL seems like a natural transition. And the amount of time that you were able to work, either work out, skill, building strength, or work on your skill development because of the showcase aspect, how do you think that helps as far as just player development individually? Yeah, I mean, it was a great setup. Like I said, we had like we had the four three games in the weekend and like we had so much practice time. Like we practiced five days a week before and watched video before every game, pre-scouted the team. And like you said, Tyrell Spitzer was just an awesome coach for me. And like I really learned a lot from his his game type, how how we tried to play our game and it just helped me so much as a player to learn and that that half the like the playoffs and stuff was a it was a hard way to go but that was like that was like one of my favorite moments because we had so many like arena atmosphere and we had so many fans and interviews and just a lot of a lot of great stuff happening and it was just it was really nice to see yeah, it was such a hyped-up event. I mean, you had Edmonton and you guys, great rivalry. It was packed, and I can't imagine what it's going to be like this year at the brand-new arena, Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment Center, as we get set to kick things off uh, this year. So that was, you know, that playoff was probably your favorite uh, on-ice moment. What about off-ice, the culture, uh, the player treatment, things like that? What were some of your favorite things uh, about that aspect? Well... I mean, school school was super fun. I mean, we went to school as a team, and, like, we all just kind of, like, it was easy for homework on the road. We can all kind of work together with each other. And just some of, like, the activities off ice, too. Like, like for one point, we went to laser tag after one of our, like, before one of our games, just as a team bonding, like, all just trying to get together. And that's really what helps the team out is just everyone being positive and helping each other out and stuff and just – awesome vibes around makes us play a lot better and like just all like we even had some off ice training together like um we had speed work with walter and um yeah it was just all like fun fun things that we could just kind of do together and bond together and really brought us as a team yeah, and, you know, the, the travel gets you together, just like in, in the Western Hockey League, some flying, yeah. some busing, and, and that's really where, as you're probably discovering, although your schedule has been so weird in Seattle, it's almost like a football schedule to start. I guess the one thing you get is practice time and, and that time to bond because that's where a team really comes together. You can be as skilled as you want, but if you don't come together off the ice, it's hard to translate that onto the ice, isn't it? Exactly. So... We just came back from actually Camp Seymour and it was just a weekend where we kind of got away from hockey and that's a big thing I just said like it's just a huge thing to be together and bond together it just brings the team really together and since we've had a slower start we've had a lot of practice time and 
things where we can kind of work on from our games and it's going to start picking up here and that's where we're going to have to we're going to have to just keep going and practicing harder but just the just the things like going to camp Seymour that we just came back it just bonded our team so much together and I think we're I think we're looking really good yeah, no matter what level, your U14, U18, Western Hockey League, the NHL, getting together off the ice, it happens all the time. And, and and always guys that move up to the next level like to keep an eye on their former team. So will you be checking out and what the Titans, and have you been checking out what the Titans have been doing this year and keep your eye on it through our Silent Ice TV coverage? 100%. I've actually watched each game of the Titans and couple weekends ago, um, I watched HC versus Titans just keeping that rivalry, and I was super proud of the, super proud of the Titans for uh, carrying on and being HC there. I was happy to see that, that's for sure. But um, it's just I love watching all my buddies back home, and I'm just so proud of them. And just how far, like, the JPHL has come in one year is just amazing to see. And I'm just, just super proud, and I'll keep watching them, that's for sure. That was a huge win for the Titans. I mean, they were a little bit undermanned with bringing guys in, and to, they lost the first game of that showcase. And it was, it was you could see the emotion between those two teams is still there. And, and the, the Titans were saying, hey, we want to finish the job, HC. We want to go back-to-back. So that's like Calgary-Edmonton, right? Like, that's a rivalry that's going to span the JPHL. And, and you guys, uh, as you get older, you will still have that rivalry even when you get to the next levels, won't you? hundred percent. I mean, whenever we kind of like, for an example, like Ty Riley, he wasn't able to come to Seattle, but like we had that rivalry all year. So if he wasn't on our team, we would have kept that rivalry in camp or whatever it was. And like, just, just little things you always remember. And maybe if Sean Bell ever gets a role somewhere else and I ever play against him, I'll be able to have a little laugh with that. And just the rivalry always goes and it's just great to watch. And it's just it's just super awesome to see all these things. Yeah, it's it's so fun for us too. All right, let's let's have a little fun. Uh, what is your pregame ritual routine? Do you have one, and do you stick to it uh, ritually every single game? Well, yeah, I just kind of like making the jump here. It's it's a lot of it's a lot about routines here and just preparing for games so you're a hundred percent ready to go. And I do have a routine. I'm a big Sioux guy we like to play the soccer and stuff and keep it up as a team. But uh, I just, I just really like focus on kind of getting loose and just like putting fun into the warm up. But then like just before we go out and stuff, just really trying to focus in and just be ready to go for the game. And so, yeah, I do have a ritual, but it's, it's um, just a lot about getting loose and just having a little fun, but trying to focus in. Yeah, you, you know, like having a ritual, it doesn't mean you have to be stringent. You could be relaxed, and it's just doing the same thing over again to get yourself mentally prepared. So I, I love guys that are loose. I, I don't, you know, coaches might not like it, but I like guys that that you can't see that they're anxious about the game. They're relaxed, and as an opponent, I'm looking at that guy saying, well, this guy's not scared of us because he's relaxed. They don't see the, the fear on our face. Uh, what about pregame uh, to get the hands or stick handling, anything? Do you do anything that, you know, maybe other kids kids could learn from to get the hands going before the game yeah for sure i go into the gym and i actually use a green biscuit and i just kind of keep my head up and i get a buddy and they just put up numbers one through five and i just look up and stick handle and just read the numbers as he's putting it up and even for all nice warm-ups i'm just always in the corner or on the blue line just kind of looking up and looking around and stick handle and trying to get my hands loose as possible and just relax too. So I'm not all like uptight, sick handling and stuff, just trying to be relaxed and feel the puck out and 
keep my head up looking around and just so I can kind of relate that to the, to the game I'm about to play. Uh, how about your stick? Are you a guy that fiddles, works with your stick, retapes, tapes all the time, works on the curve? Uh, how are you with that? All the time. I'm always working <laughs> on my stick, trying to trying to do whatever I can to score and stick handle best. And my curve, I'm actually working on my curve right now, and I'm excited for that to get that in. But, yeah, I'm, all, I'm a big stick guy and a big change in my grips. If something doesn't feel right or a little tweak, I'll take apart and do it up again, and I'm just a big stick guy. And I always want my – Always want my uh, tape fresh and clean. Good stuff. Uh, on the bus, movie, book, or podcast? What's your go-to? Um, I'm a big podcast guy. I really actually like to listen. And I uh, watched one of your episodes actually on the way there to Spokane. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome to hear. I watched uh, Tyrell there just kind of listening in and hear how, how the JPHL and the new rank is just awesome to hear. So I'm actually a big uh, podcast guy. And then I'll throw in the movie on the odd side. All right. Are you a scary movie guy? And if so, do you have a favorite one? Because it is the best movie for our best month right now for scary movies. Where do you are in horror movies? I, I like, I like my, uh, I like my horror movies. I mean, I like the thrill of it and stuff, but I also like the, like the horror comedy one. So it's kind of <laughs> like Hubie Halloween, like Adam Sandler. I was just, I was watching it like last night. I was just laughing in my bed, but I like the thrill, but, uh, sometimes being alone and stuff i don't know but i like the comedy horror ones that's for yeah. sure see watching a horror on a bus is great because you have a whole bunch of people but if the bus ever breaks down that's the plot of a horror movie i, yeah. I don't want to be a part of that <laughs> exactly so i just gotta be maybe not alone but yeah, I like exactly the uh sure. best halloween costume you ever had you, are you big uh, when you were a kid big dress-up guy I was a Stanley Cup one year, Whoa. and I'd uh, I'd actually get the like when I went up to the doors, I'd get the candy in the little bowl up there, and I'd just go down, and it was awesome. And everyone was taking pictures and stuff, so that was probably one of my favorite ones. I'm not a big like uh, scary costume kind of guy. I was just always uh, trying to look for the most funny ones and stuff like that. So yeah. That one works uh, perfect uh, as the NHL gets set to go uh, tonight when we're recording this interview. Antonio, thank you so much. It was a pleasure getting to uh, watch you last year and continued success with Seattle and uh, keeping your eye. We appreciate you keeping your eye on the JPHL. Best of luck with the T-Birds this year. Thank you very much. Oh, that was a fun chat. I, I love that uh, Antonio watching the uh, show on the bus. Appreciate that. We'll have to give some shout-outs and uh, some... I'll have to get, definitely get him some For Vengeance Media gear for that, for that shout-out. Uh, the Saints have a home-and-home home with Bonneville. Friday in Bonneville, home at the Grant Fuhrer Arena on Saturday night. They split two games at home last weekend, uh, winning against Camrose and dropping one against Calgary. You can get tickets for Saturday night at sprucegrowsaints.ca. And if you uh, head to chl.ca slash Seattle Thunderbirds, you can check out the T-Birds schedule. Antonio Martirana and the T-Birds are home to Wenatchee Friday night, and then they host Brandon on Tuesday and get into some sort of uh, normalcy when it comes to the schedule. I mean, it has been the weirdest schedule for the Seattle Thunderbirds in uh, trying to get going this year. They have had like one game a week and uh, and then they have to get ready for the rest of things in the WHL. All right, we are ready 
to jump into things with Derek Zalaski. He is the department, uh, the Department of uh, Director of Player Safety with the JPHL. We will find out exactly what is going on in terms of player safety in the JPHL and how that is different from other leagues. There's Sean Bell, head coach of the U18 team. This is Game Changers. Derek Zalaski joins us now. Derek, it is great to chat with you as uh, the hockey season officially, I, I think we're in full swing. I know the NHL is just get going, but every other league has been so busy, including the JPHL. And I guess let's just start with how did you get involved with the JPHL and what drew you to the position of Director of Player Safety? Yeah, thanks, Dean. I uh, basically retired from dropping pucks uh, about five years ago. It was my last game in the uh, in the Western Hockey League. Um, my oldest son got into officiating uh, last year and uh, the phone call came from the referee in chief of the JPHL just looking for some support on uh, some reviews and uh, in the Department of Discipline. So talked with my family and of course they sacrificed a lot while I was away as an official so they were great in, uh, in me coming on board and hopefully uh, having some knowledge to share. Uh, where I could uh, help out the, the players, teams, and the officials all alike. So uh, dove right in, and, and here we are. So let's get just for people that are maybe are unfamiliar, what is your role as uh, Director of Player Safety? Yeah, so for the Director of Player Safety, um, one of my primary responsibilities is, of course, to, uh, to review any uh, major penalties that have been assessed, uh, review game tape, uh, levy any suspensions that are required from a disciplinary standpoint, um, but more so probably uh, educate the, the players, the officials, the, the teams on what we're looking for to keep the game safe, enjoyable, and uh, just really um, a, a place where everyone can have fun uh, without the, feeling any danger, any harm, and uh, certainly being being safe within that uh, type of, of facility. So um, with me, whenever I, I do see a major penalty, I uh, use a lot of video review. I talk to the, uh, the teams, I talk to the officials, and in a lot of cases, there's a learning responsibility that uh, that we can take out of those situations, uh, whether it be a, a call that could have had a different sight line, whether it be a, a, a different tactic that a player could have taken, or whether there's a coachable moment, uh, perhaps for the entire team, on something that may cause injury down the road, but can be prevented in the future. So it's uh, a little bit of a, a person of all hats when it comes to mm -hmm. this position. I think uh, communication and education are, are two of the best things uh, for an official and a player or, or a coach. I mean, when you can have a civil conversation about something, you walk away, I think, with a more appreciation and, and more knowledge and information. And, you know, I, I saw, and I, and I think the, the referees in the JPHL do a great job. And an example I saw in BC last weekend, after the period, uh, player and uh, the referees got together. They both had their communication and they fist bumped when they went away. And I thought that is awesome. I, I, I absolutely love to see that these two people had a communication. There was no yelling and screaming. One side presented their case. The other side presented their case and they walked away civilly. That's the way it should always be. Unfortunately, it doesn't. And as the higher levels go, maybe it escalates. But I just thought that type of education and explanation and communication was massive. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we know that everyone has a role to play in the game and we know it's an emotional game. Everyone's out there to win. Everyone's out there to compete. And ultimately we want the the kids to compete hard, but we want them to play within the rules as well. And that also comes into play, uh, whether you're communicating as an official with a coach or with a player uh, or vice versa, we all want to work within the spirit of cooperation and mutual respect, knowing that we play an important role in the game. And so if we come at it with that mindset, then and uh, obviously there's some great strides that we can make in understanding each other and educating each other uh, on both sides of the equation, for sure. I know there's some, uh, you know, different rule changes and, and things like that, or rules, pardon me, and things like that within the league uh, on the ice. When it comes to Department of Player Safety, are there some differences that you've noticed in the JPHL uh, as compared to some uh, some other hockey that you've done? Yeah, well, one of the big uh, differences is actually the way that body contact is approached and, uh, you know, the integration that they have between the HSL, JPHL and really emphasizing that body checking is a method in order to separate a player from a puck instead of finishing, punishing or intimidating an opponent has, uh, has made great strides in uh, teaching kids on the, the proper techniques of body checking and integrating that slowly as they move up through the levels. Um, we love good physical hard games. Uh, you know, everyone enjoys that, uh, but it's got to be done right within the rules and safely. And that's the the big emphasis that we've been able to take from a JPHL standpoint. Um, recently, there's been a lot of emphasis on head contact, on uh, blindside hits, and really um, taking unsuspecting opponents, uh, you know, with great care. You have to know that there's some uh, kids out there that uh, just are, are not necessarily where they're going to be hit. And as a hitter, you need to be aware of uh, the, the contact you're about to make. And hopefully if we can teach that mutual respect and know that there's going to be um, respect on both sides of the equation, then we can, again, make it a, a fun, safe and fair hockey game for everybody. You know, I think that uh, the the preseason, I was, uh, you know, lucky enough to be able to sit in on some of the, the discussions. And I really think, uh, I, I love the questions from, from the officials that are maybe new. And, and I just love how it was explained. You know, the, the interference rule, if the puck is not there and the hit is made, that is a penalty. And, and that, for me, in general in hockey, is just a pet peeve on my end, is that that guy just got hit, the puck wasn't there. And so I just love how it was explained. Explained, and again, it comes back to uh, communication. And I, and I think, you know, we all have a part to play in encouraging more officials to get involved in the game. I mean, you know, hockey player numbers are down, and so are officials, whether that's scorekeepers or or on ice or whatever. And you know, I think we need to do a better job, all of us, of making sure that officials are 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 welcomed at the game. You know, we know the the pe- there are certain people. Uh, they they don't like the referees, but if you don't have referees, you don't have hockey. So how do we encourage more officials to get involved in the game? How do we make that happen more? I know this is uh, an age-old question, I think. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and I think the statistic hasn't changed in a long time where uh, about half of the first-year officials across the country end up leaving um, just based on the the pressure, the abuse, and some of the feedback that they have from parents. And we just have to keep in mind that a lot of these new officials are, are really teenagers. This is their first job, their first experience. Uh, they're dealing with adult authority figures, and but they're, they're learning some great life skills on how to take charge, how to be a leader, how to know rules and obligations um, within the game. And once you catch the bug, 
um, it's tough to stop. I started when I was uh, 13 years old and didn't look back. It just becomes a passion. Um, for It's not for everybody. Some people don't, uh, you know, really gel or, or, or find that it's uh, a great little niche for them. But at the end of the day, if, uh, if it's something that you can maybe make a little bit of pocket change, you can learn to meet new people and develop some skills for the future, then I just encourage uh, a lot of the youngsters to give it a try. It, uh, it's a really exhilarating experience and it could take you to some new heights that you never imagined for sure. I totally agree. I loved it uh, when I was a youngster. I have buddies who are getting back into it because they want to get the exercise. Their kids are a little bit older now, so they have time. And my advice for a coach or a parent is never say anything to an official that you would never say to your own child. And, and I think, honestly, we have to think of it that way because sometimes you just, you know, blurt something out and not even thinking that referee's mother or father could be sitting in the in the crowd beside you. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I remember refing a Bantam AA game when I was coming up and I call it a helicopter mother, but she came to a bunch of my games to watch me officiate. And when the parents were going at it uh, during one night in a, a Bantam AA game, she had her purse ready to swing saying, that's my boy out there. So it uh, it becomes funny because, you know, there's there's a, a parent behind those kids and the, the kids, you know, they they go home at night and they hear the, all the comments and they uh, they feel it too. That Sometimes that's the, the beauty of reacting under pressure, but we all have to remember that we're, we're adults, that we should be mature people and approach the game with a huge amount of respect for sure. Is it a natural progression, do you think, even at higher levels for players to become referees? Whether, you know, I did it as, as a youngster, I wanted to improve my skating and make a little bit of extra money. But now I'm starting to see guys that, you know, maybe played junior and then got into refing. Are you seeing that more or have you seen that more as the years have gone on? It's really interesting. So, you know, as you can appreciate over the course of 30 years, you see a lot of different methodologies when it comes to officiating and, and moving up to elite levels and even hiring at the NHL level. Um, right now, they, there's been a lot of emphasis placed over the last few years on hockey IQ, intelligence, and uh, most of all, fitness, skating, and ability. And so uh, you may have seen that the NHL has hired uh, a bunch of officials that uh, really have some uh, pretty credible playing resumes. And the, the methodology there is we can take your hockey IQ, your skating, and your ability and teach you the rest. We'll teach you rules, we'll teach you uh, officiating and um, really kind of mold you into that official. So you're seeing a lot of people play up to the highest level that they can possible. And then once that playing career started to, to come to the sunset, you know, making an immediate jump into officiating, and they've been having some success in being able to get the opportunity to do that. Conversely, you know, if, if you're starting out at the lower levels, there's a lot to be learned uh, at every game that you do. And so the more games that you can officiate um, is great. But uh, I guess my recommendation to a, a playing and uh, an officiating person is to play as long as you can and, and do both while you can. And then certainly if you want to switch to officiating full time after the end of your playing career, then uh, by all means, that opportunity will always be there for you. Yeah, young referees, a lot like young broadcasters. I say get behind the mic as much as you can, call as many games. And just like you said, you're going to learn no game is the same. You're going to learn something new every game and, and have sort of that new experience and, and you know, gain that experience to move up. Uh, you mentioned uh, you started when you were 13. That's kind of when, when I started. And obviously you made a career out of it. Was it 
something that you just said, hey, I want a little bit of extra money, and then it grew into a passion? Or did you know right away you wanted to be a, a, a referee as part of your career? Yeah, it's funny. I got a letter as uh, I was playing Bantam AAA, I think, at the time, and I, I got a letter saying, hey, we're looking for officials. And it just you know, dawned on me that it'd be something really great to, to try. And I got the bug. I just kept uh, going and, and refing as many games as I could. And then ultimately, I, I got a knee injury on one of those crazy fouls that didn't get penalized or disciplined <laughs> uh, and, you know, broke my or busted up my ACL and my MCL. And that really gave me some pause to think of where I want to go with uh, both my playing and uh, officiating career. And I was just having too much darn fun officiating. So I kept uh, kept at it, kept progressing. And uh, yeah, no, it's turned into a wild ride that's for sure and, and i love how you said uh for guys to referee and officiate while they're playing we're seeing that there's some jphl players that are also getting some sim experience in in the refereeing that can help you as a player as well because now you start looking at the game a little bit different it's like a defensive back or a receiver that plays both sides because you're seeing it from a different way. So that's a benefit for them in their hockey career and also for them understanding the game and how officials think as well. So I think that's also uh, some another benefit, whether you want to pursue hockey or officiating. It's funny how some of the hard-nosed, really grindy players make great officials. <laughs> they, they just ride the line of the rules and they, they know the techniques to, to really become a physical presence out there. And it's funny how many of the, the people that, um, you know, I had to try and police out in the ice and they were just the bane of my existence, you know, really became very successful in officiating and some have ascended all the way to the NHL. And so it's, it's funny how that certain personality um, turns into, uh, into the good cop, so to speak. Uh, you worked uh, a long time in the Western Hockey League. Do you have a favorite arena or a few favorite arenas? Oh boy. Um, yeah, I spent 21 years uh, officiating in the Western Hockey League and it seems like it, uh, it was a lifetime ago, but boy, every barn had a very unique personality, but the, the ones that really stood out were those rivalry games on the Saturday night. So whether you were doing, you know, Seattle in Portland or uh, Regina in the Crush Can in Moose Jaw or Kelowna Kamloops, um, boy, oh boy, the, the arenas sure came to life at any of those junctures. So I truly enjoyed, you know, my experience in the Western league and every barn had its, its very unique uh, nuances. You'd go into medicine hat and an hour and a half before the game, all the fans are lined up outside just waiting to get in. Um, you know, so I, I have a special memory of each and every place that we were in. Uh, I'll have to call them all my favorites in true impartial fashion. So that is, that is uh, the perfect referee answer for sure. And I, I can attest to the uh, Regina Moose Jaw. I spent 10 months at Global Regina and going out to that crush cam before the new arena. It was it was on my bucket list. I wanted to do it because I had heard so much of it. And you're right. That atmosphere is, is awesome. Uh, you received the WHL Milestone Award as well. Uh, what is some career highlights that you have from when you were on the ice? Oh boy, I kind of alluded to it earlier. You know, it's funny how you start out making some pocket change and you have no idea the heights that uh, officiating can take you. So, um, you know, for, for me, uh, I, I've done, you know, numerous WHL finals. I've done uh, three university championships, but uh, the, the international assignments really stick out for me. And I've been able to travel the world essentially on refereeing's dime. So, um, you know, I've been to Switzerland and Sweden and Finland and Russia and Kazakhstan of all places, um, all to officiate in international hockey tournaments. 
Um, so for me, meeting people across the world, um, people that have like-minded passions with officiating and being able to, to get to do some high-level tournaments uh, in the World Championships and World Juniors uh, all really stood out. Probably my career highlight game was uh, at home in 2012. Um, Canada lost out in the World Juniors, so they didn't make the gold medal, and I was very fortunate enough to, to get the nod. So we had Sweden versus Russia in a sold-out saddle dome, and Mika Zabinajad from Sweden potted it in overtime to, to win the uh, chip. So being part of that game... Uh, really brings back some special memories for sure. Yeah, no kidding. That was uh, that was a, a wild game for sure. Um, okay, so let's wrap up. We talked about some advice uh, for some players that maybe want to make the transition. What about new referees or somebody that is looking to get into it? Um, other than getting to a clinic and and so those sort of things, what sort of advice would you have for somebody brand new or wanting to become a referee? Don't be afraid to, to start. Um, you know, a lot of times, even if you're younger, um, it, it don't feel intimidated because officiating will give you a ton of life skills uh, as you kind of grow up. And even if you're an older person, getting into it for exercise and for being part of the game or staying part of the game, uh, don't be intimidated like you have to know all the rules from day one. It really is a slow progression. And even in my final days, I was making plenty of mistakes. It's a, a lifelong learning process and it's super enjoyable, but you don't know until you try. I think it was Gretzky that said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? So, um, you know, get into it, give it a try and see if it's uh, something that's up your alley. And, you know, like me, you just don't know if that's the bug that you're going to catch. And in my case, it certainly was, and I couldn't let go of it for many, many years. Well, uh, we're glad to have you involved with the uh, Junior Prospects Hockey League. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to shine the spotlight a little bit more on the officials as well in our league. Because, as I said, without them, we don't have hockey or timekeepers and volunteers. The list goes on and on. But, Derek, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And enjoy the rest of the season. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dean. My pleasure. My thanks to Derek Zalaski. It is a big one this weekend. All four divisions, full showcase, Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment Center, Hatchco and Hesco Arenas, as well as the newly renovated Morinville Silent Ice Gardens. Every team, 56 games starting on Thursday, ending on Sunday, and you can watch it all at silenticetv.com. Just scroll down. There's your schedule. Create an account. We have the $99 season pass, $3.99 per game, $5.99 per download or to stream and download. It is the $8 package. You can find all of that at silenticetv.com and you can check out the full schedule at Junior Prospects Hockey League. Dot com as well. All right, when we come back, we are going to jump into it with Nick Kiprios, and we're going to find out just how many 50-goal scores Mr. Kiprios thinks there will be. Will the pasta man get back up to 60-plus again this year? Nick Kiprios and our NHL preview right now here on Game Changers the home of hockey. 
Nick, it's uh, great to chat with you. Great to see you. I, I think the last time we might have saw each other in person was that really windy day in Saskatoon where we played Dakota Dunes. I actually wore a toque, and it, w- it might have been the windiest day I've ever played golf. I, I we, we couldn't believe it, but we got to watch some good hockey and had some good company that day. Yeah, it feels like yesterday. <laughs> uh, not really. <laughs> Man, uh no, but in all honesty, uh, some great memories out there, of course, hanging out with your brother, uh, all those years at Sportsnet covering uh, uh, Memorial Cups uh, with Darren and Doug McLean at the time, and uh, John Shannon was involved. It was uh, some fantastic times and uh, dear memories, uh, including that particular day, Dino. Yeah, it was it was a busy day on the golf course, and and you've been busy as well. Uh, before we get into our, our five big storylines for the NHL this season, let's talk about next rewards. I was checking it out on Monday night during the Dodgers game, which helped me get over the Dodgers completely collapsing in the playoffs. But this is a neat um, uh, kind of a, an alternative to to some of the things that are out there. It's a neat sports gaming app that is non gambling. Tell me a little bit about next rewards well this is something that uh i kind of dove into during the pandemic you know lots of times uh to to be at home and and reflect and we knew that uh, at least uh when it was introduced to me i knew that uh the whole world was going to get flooded with uh uh legalized uh sports gaming uh betting with real money so uh this was one of the things that i looked at that went against that grain uh, that still offered everything that's out there. And we know what what it means to you or me, Dino, when we watch uh, pro sports, that we can't do it without our phones. We're either uh, texting somebody or looking up stats while we're watching. And this is another way to engage in the game, but without using real money, no credit cards a, a, a involved. This is a free app that enables you to have questions brought to you, i.e., will they kick a, a 45-yard uh, field goal? Will this Major League Baseball player get on base at this bat? Will the the Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid score a power play goal in the next two minutes? So all of these come into play, and if you guess correctly, you get reward points. You don't get real money. You're not You're not getting rich, but what you are able to do is now – collect these reward points and redeem them in our catalog and what's in our catalog the good old uh, canadian timmy hortons uh starbucks is involved swiss chalet bass fishing i mean there's a lot of things uh uber mm-hmm. uh and you just go redeem the points and then uh you know you're, you're in a position to get something for nothing and uh of course the play for us is involving the corporate world that wouldn't necessarily be involved with uh, real uh, gambling, a chance to interact uh, with the people that love their uh, their product. So uh, I, I think it's great if you go to uh, nextrewards.app, you can download it. And if you use Kipper 19, I will give you the first 250 points. 
Well, I, like I said, I used it. I was I was trying to motivate the Dodgers uh, by by guessing <laughs> the correct things for them. It didn't work, but it was a lot of fun, and I can only imagine what it will be like on NFL Sundays or the big yes. Saturday nights, big Wednesday nights when there's so much yeah. going on. So uh, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to diving it into a lot more. And, and I like that it's it's a non-gambling alternative without real money in that. So it's um, I, I, I think it's just a, a, a little bit more, I, I, I don't know if the word safer or, or whatever it is, but uh, a little bit it's- more accessible for a lot of people. You know, Dean, the, the, the term we use is risk-free. Like if you if you guess incorrectly, you lose the ability to earn points. You don't lose your points. Um, you don't lose any money. It's just, um, again, a, a different way to engage in the game, bring that connection closer, risk-free. And that's, uh, that's what we like best. And, and keep an eye down the road. We're gonna, when we advance it, Dean, you will have a chance to bet maybe a hundred of your points that the Leafs will lose on a Saturday night with me. <laughs> I love it. All right, that leads us into our uh, five storylines for the NHL season that we're going to talk about. And and how do we not start with the guy? everybody is talking about Connor Bedard and I'll throw the number out 85 and a half points over or under for Mr. Bedard 85 and a half points in Chicago and what are your thoughts on Bedard you know we saw McDavid a few years back I guess eight years back now uh, after the 2015 draft the hype is real for Bedard I got to see him live a lot out west your thoughts on Connor Bedard in Chicago and will he beat 85 and a half points? Well, uh, my first thoughts is I absolutely love him like the rest of the hockey world. And my second thoughts is that he will come just underneath the 85. Um, to, to come into the league and, and be a point of game guy, uh, only a, a dozen or so have, have really been able to do that, uh, you know, over the course of a very long time. But that's not saying that it won't be a successful year for him. I do believe that he can knock on the door of, of 75 points and maybe with some luck, a point a game. Um, but outside of that, it, it's still going to be very difficult as he goes against different competition and 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 big men on a nightly basis. And that may also speak not not, not so much about, uh, you know, maybe the, the lack of faith I have in, in hitting that number from his talent, but what's around him in Chicago and who's going to get him the puck on a nightly basis. And, you know, how hot can, can other guys get like uh, Taylor Hall uh, to help him get to that magic 85 points. I, I'm, I'm not high on Chicago just of, as of yet, um, but there's no question individually he has the capabilities of putting up some big numbers already. What did you make of uh, the the shootout attempt, Mark Andre Fleury? Kind of almost people are saying it was his welcome to the NHL moment. I, I like that Fleury was like, "Hey, you tried a great move on me, but I'm a I'm a veteran." And I love that uh, Bedard tried this move. I, I think it was a, a really cool kind of preseason moment. We don't get a lot of great preseason moments, Kipper. I thought that was one of them. Well, listen, there's going to be times when he tries things and we're going to have that wow factor and it'll go viral within the first 10 or 15 seconds. And there's going to be other times when he tries things um, that it doesn't work out uh, in in that instance. 
but the bottom line is he's got the confidence and he's got the, the skill and he, he's got the swagger to, to, to put it out on the line uh, when he plays. And that's what makes the players of this caliber so special is that he's willing on any given night uh, to go and, and put things on the line. And, you know, most often than not, this guy's going to look really, really good because he is, uh, he's that skilled, uh, you know, very, very seldom do players like this come into the league, probably about, you know, seven to 10 years. Um, and, uh, you know, the one thing that stands out for me more than anything, uh, Dino is, is his shot, uh, at such a young age to have one of the best releases I've ever seen, uh, uh, just amazes me. And I've been around the game a long time. And I think I said it uh, in my article last week in the Toronto Star, what Connor McDavid is to skating, Bedard will be to shooting the puck. Uh, it's that magical. Yeah, it, it really is. That release, it's it's almost a little bit deceptive at times. You, you're really not sure what, what the release point is. So you just mentioned McDavid. Um, the question I have for our top five storylines with McDavid is, uh, can he get to 170 points? I mean, the number, the expectations for this guy just keep climbing. At some point, there's going to be a ceiling, maybe. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to be talking about 200-plus points with McDavid at some yeah. point, but who knows. But is 170 a realistic number for McDavid, which would be out of this world for people that have only watched hockey in the last 25 years? Yeah, you know... Dean, when, when I hear people talking about those types of numbers or, or the ceiling beyond that, um, you know, from an entertainment point of view and, and what you think may, may grow the game, uh, yeah, those numbers seem to be uh, important or, or realistic to some. But I, I don't think, you know, Dean, the Edmonton Oilers need him to score 170 points uh, to be successful here. And... You know, I kind of look back at uh, a Stevie Iserman situation when he was scoring numbers in that ballpark when he first broke into Detroit. Uh, you know, he was a 60-plus goal scorer. He was knocking on the door of 170 points and, and still a lack of success. And when the focus became to, to completely be that 200-foot player and, and spread the wealth a little bit, uh, Detroit started moving uh, north in, in a positive direction. I I think it is possible that he can score 100 points. I throw this, Dino, do they do they need that? You know, is it about team defense from here on in, from getting great goaltending to being in the right place at the right time defensively? That, to me, is a bigger concern for, for the success of the Edmonton Oilers than if Connor can contribute another 25 or 30 points from last season. It's such a good point, and I mean, historically, you look at teams that peak offensively, other than maybe the Edmonton Oilers, who just kept going up in a crazy era, but historically, teams get to that point, and then, you know, the, the points come down a little bit, but the overall team success goes up, and that's a, a perfect example uh, for, for Steve Eiserman. Um This is an Oiler team that is just going to get so many points on the power play. At five on five, they don't have to take as many chances. No, they, they don't. And, you know, they've, they've added some additional depth with Connor Brown, and I love him, and I think he is a responsible player. Um, 
for for me again you know two favorite teams in 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 canada we know are the edmonton oilers and the toronto maple leafs and yet uh we do question whether or not that uh, both blue lines are are ready to take uh, a next step so Mm -hmm. you know when it comes to the offense uh we know evan bouchard is capable uh can he have a, a a big career year with the likes of uh you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl to follow it up? Will it alleviate a lot of the pressures on on Darnell Nurse? And of course, um, you know, as long as Ekholm is healthy, um, he alone uh, takes the Edmonton Oilers to another level for their first time uh, having him for, for one complete season, uh, you know, in the Oiler uniform. Yeah, I, I think you're you kind of nailed it there with the blue line. One struggle of a blue liner, one injury to a blue liner, and then you're going with Cody Cece and those guys into the top four, and those are only stopgap measures. So uh, defensively is where this team needs to improve, is, and I think they could use you know a big season from Broberg. Uh, Bouchard probably could get 20 just on that power play alone, but it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, you talk about the Leafs and the Oilers being entertaining teams, and they are off offensively but sometimes that doesn't get it all done uh what is entertaining is scoring goals and we had five 50 goal scorers last year two in the 60s this is awesome i mean i remember the times when and you remember when guys were winning the rocket richard with less than 50 goals and that almost should never happen so to have five 50 goal scorers last year was amazing for me do you think we have five? Do you think we have more? What do you think for 50 goal scorers this year? Because goal scoring certainly seems to be a trend on the rise. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, it's definitely trending in that. And let's not forget, Dean, from, from the get-go coming out of the lockout in 2004, the league has just been doing nothing but putting the players in position to open up the game from the original uh, uh clutching and grabbing disappearing uh to to the rule changes puck over the glass offensive zone face-offs uh uh picking your side everything has been geared for the shooter and unfortunately for uh, the goalies it's it's going in the wrong (laughs) direction but yeah we've got some great guys that can put the puck in the net and you know whether it's uh a Nathan McKinnon now who's ready to, to go to 50, uh, Jack Hughes, uh, you know, Willie Nylander, uh, we think in here in Toronto, he could score 35, 40 with his eyes closed. If he puts a little bit more consistency in his game, he could be knocking on 50. Uh, most teams aren't short of, of guys with that type of p- potential to be over half a dozen. I think, should be a real easy bet. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, just amazing. And, and I think for sure uh, we can get past the five. All right, right off the bat, there are some coaches that are on the hot seat. Uh, what NHL teams and their fan bases are asking questions about their coach right off the bat in the season? Do we have some coaches on the hot seat already? No, no, Dean, we, we don't. Uh, just take a look at... Uh half a dozen teams with brand new coaches right from washington to the to the rangers i mean we we've got we've i think we've got coaches that are in play and of course we know the ones that aren't going anywhere uh, and are considered some of the better coaches uh you know over the last few years like a, a john cooper and uh and a rod brendamore but 
you know, we've also got uh, coaches that have been around that just got extensions. Todd uh, McClellan in uh, in Edmonton. Uh, we've got uh, Sheldon Keefe with a brand new contract. So I, I don't think there's really anybody in real danger. Now, if you look, you know, past Christmas and there's a few teams maybe on the outside looking in and a couple of voices that may get tiresome uh, to the players, <laughs> maybe one guy I would keep an eye on you know, in the back half of the season would be Craig Berube. How's that? Yeah, and and uh, th- it's been a situation where he won a cup and then that, that voice kind of, that message just dies off after a while. Coaches in general have short shelf lives and then sometimes the harder coaches seem to be uh, an even shorter shelf life, the Sutters and, and, and et cetera. All yeah. right. Your Stanley Cup final is and will a Canadian team end the 30-year drought? I can't believe it. Uh, like 30 years. Uh, that's, that's as long as my when I graduated high school, there hasn't been a Stanley Cup champion. But who's your yeah. Stanley Cup final this year and will a Canadian team be in it and end it? Yeah. Um, I unfortunately have to say that the, the drought continues in Canada. I think Toronto's... Uh, Uh, destined to go deeper I think the Oilers are destined to go deeper but I just don't know between now and the trade deadline if there is uh, enough room to 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 solidify uh, uh, a blue line uh, some more toughness when it comes to Toronto a a better shutdown guy I don't think that they're quite there uh, just yet so I've got uh, a Carolina coming out of the East and I've got a, a Dallas stars coming out of the West. And uh, I believe I went with the Dallas stars to win the Stanley cup as, you know, somewhat of a, of a long shot. I know there's a lot of people out there that disagree with me and would go safer with the, uh, the Oilers or, or Vegas defending or even Colorado coming back. But, I think the Dallas Stars are a big, strong team, and and Ottinger, I, I really like between the pipes. I'm with you, man. I got Dallas coming out of the West too. Uh, you know, they add Duchesne, Robertson, Ottinger, Heiskanen. They're a year older. When your third center is Tyler Sagan, you're you're doing pretty well. I think yeah. people might be sleeping on the Stars. I know Vegas. I know Edmonton is popular, and and obviously Colorado. But I like. Dallas, just like you. So uh, I, I like that choice for sure. And and we talk about ending a Canadian drought. Uh, you ended uh, a drought in New York. You helped to end that drought in 1994. Uh, how often do you go back to that? Like 29 years uh, and now f- for that championship. Do you drift back to that constantly? I know people ask you about it a lot, but is it on the forefront of your mind? I can't imagine winning a Stanley Cup and not thinking about it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, you know, what's been great uh, as a retired player is watching the growth of the NHL alumni. And, uh, you know, it's been around for a while, but when it transitioned from Mark Napier to Glenn Healy, it just seemed like it, it, it went to another level. So the support out there for ex-players is, has never been better. And, and the growth of respective alumni's uh, has never been better. And, uh, you know, I played with four teams in the National Hockey League. 
And uh, I was I was fortunate enough to win a Stanley Cup in New York, and their alumni is just absolutely amazing. Always in a position every year to go back for a few days, and you know when it, when you go through uh, Madison Square Garden, it's still believe it or not, thirty years later, we're looking at some familiar faces, and you know it's just a a flood of emotion going back to nineteen ninety four and. You know, uh, remembering Steve Larmer's words moments after we won the Stanley Cup was that we're going to walk together and they can never take this away from us. And every year we, we, we feel it uh, when, we, when we go back. I was also fortunate enough to go to the Washington Capitals alumni event last weekend and it's growing and it's, it's getting better all the time. So great opportunities for players, uh, ex-players to still stay involved with their respective clubs, uh, network, uh, move forward with their business ventures. And uh, certainly I, I feel blessed uh, being a part of it. Do you have a favorite Mark Messier story that you like to tell that sums up, you know, I don't know how you would sum up what he meant to that team in that run, but you know, what, what do you remember yeah. from Messier in, in the 94 yeah, well, listen, I mean, I, I could sit here for hours and tell you stories on, on Mark and the type of person he was, but um, the, the one that probably stands out the most to me was after getting traded uh, from Hartford to New York that year, he took me out for lunch, and it's just me and him, and one of the questions, you know, I... I asked him is that, uh, you know, I've noticed uh, the last little while, like you don't, you, you won five Stanley Cups and you don't wear your rings ever. And if I was you, I'd, I'd wear them everywhere. <laughs> At the end of my nose, I'd pierce my nose with one of your Stanley Cup rings. Um, I said, uh, you, you don't like wearing them? Uh, you know, where are they? And he said, well, they're in a shoebox uh you know, back in Hilton Head. And, uh, and then he's paused for a moment. And then he asked me, how come you don't wear yours? And I kind of felt a little kind of uh, perplexed. I don't know whether or not he's legitimately asking or he's confused me with someone else. Or he's teasing me a little bit. But I said, Mark, uh, of course, you know, I don't have one. And then he turns around and he says to me, okay, I'll make you a deal. Uh, when you can wear yours, I'll wear mine. And there was just a, a flood of emotion for me to sit there and go, wow, he, he thinks we're going to win the Stanley Cup this year. And uh, that's when it really dawned on me that I'm not in Hartford anymore, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm with a guy that's done it already. And he thinks, he thinks I'm going to get one this year and we're going to wear them together uh, in the future. And I just... I thought that was a, an amazing feeling for me uh, in, in my career. And it's still, I still feel like it, we had lunch yesterday. <laughs> yeah. You're not in Kansas anymore. When, when that uh, story happens going from Hartford to, to New York, that's uh, that's the, the biggest difference right there. Uh, really quickly. Do you think we will see NHL players in the Olympics and is it important? Yeah, I don't have it as a slam dunk, uh, to be honest with you. I, I know how the players feel, uh, Dean, but, you know, there's there's the money component in all of this. And that's where sometimes the players, you know, just don't probably 
remind themselves enough that this is a multi-billion dollar industry and uh you know once again to shut down the league to play in the olympics what does that mean and who's insuring these contracts and who's paying for chartered flights who's paying for uh you know whatever you need uh, outside of you know the the regular things that you need during a hockey season there's some big dollars involved and is the WIHAF picking it up is it uh, the players association is the NHL it's one thing to go there and it's another thing to actually have it cost you money um once they get over the the logistics of of who pays for what we'll see how it unfolds but you know we know there's there's challenging times you know financially uh around the world right now from higher interest rates to you know uh, expenses and we've seen the league now work through two uh financial crises one is with the regional coverage uh down south and the second one is a, a long-term uh, beverage deal they did with BioSteel, who's run into some challenges and, and is now uh, uh, in, in the hands of, uh, I guess, uh, the legal courts on whether or not they'll declare bankruptcy or they'll get sold. So m- money's tight out there. Once they figure out who pays for what and how much they're willing to to pay that, like I said, the WIHF who who don't want to pay um, as of now, we'll get a clearer idea where this thing goes. Kipper, this has been so much fun. Uh, can't wait to uh, see you uh, doing Leaf games. Obviously, a real Kipper and Born four to six on Sportsnet five uh, ninety, and of course, next rewards. Uh, people can check it out and, uh, it, like I did, drown their sorrows of their favorite team sucking by getting some some points and some <laughs> rewards. So, thanks so much for joining me. I hope we can do it again sometime and and maybe get out and play some windy golf again. It sounds good, Dean. Thanks for the time, and uh, thanks for uh, letting me share the story of uh, Next Rewards. Always love chatting with Kipper, and you can catch him 4 to 6 Eastern time on Fan 590 in Toronto. All right, Silent Ice TV is home to the JPHL, the Hockey Super League, the Morinville Jets of the Capital Junior B Hockey League, and special events like the Winter Championship, the Challenge Cup, and more. It is also the home of Game Changers, uh, which is the show you're watching right now, and you can catch up with past episodes as individual items as well and more great content produced by for vengeance media that'll wrap things up for this week's show uh and we had uh, just a phenomenal show i just love uh, talking to everybody about their thoughts on the game of hockey whether it's at the highest level or for those still on the way up big thanks uh, to joining us uh, for joining us on the program today of course uh, we had nick kiprios a stanley cup champion 
from 1994 with the New York Rangers. We also chatted with Antonio Martirana, Seattle Thunderbirds forward, and Derek Zalaski, the Director of Player Personnel for the JPHL. We have chatted with Ray Ferraro. I've had conversations with Cheryl Pounder, Jamie Lee Rattray, Chris Versteeg, and many more about coming on the show. So we have a solid guest list for you as we roll along here on Game Changers. If you do have a guest request that you would like to make, simply hit us up on social media. We are at 4Vengeance Media on all platforms, X, Instagram, and TikTok. Until next time, always double pad stack when you can. My name is Dean Millard, and I'll see you at the ring. Thanks for joining me.